0: Well, well, welcome along to the 116 once again. It's a podcast about living life higher, wider, closer, and deeper. It's a presentation of First United Methodist Church in downtown Peoria. And uh, don't forget to like us and share us on social media. Also, uh, on your favorite podcasting platform or YouTube, subscribe or follow to get all of our updates. We would love to have you stay up to date with us on those. Or go to peoria1.com to join us for the conversation. You can leave us a message there. Ask questions, whatever you would like. Peoria1.com is the place to go. My name is Greg Fish. It's a pleasure to have you along with us. And every time I come into the studio... It seems like I'm, I'm excited afresh for the guest because there are just so many things to talk about in the life of the things we think about here in downtown Peoria and beyond. But one of the things that is so important to ministry in what we do in at Peoria First United Methodist Church is our Latino ministry. It has really become a part of our identity. And so I have welcomed into the studio today uh, Pastor Adrian uh, Garcia. Pastor, welcome along to our studios here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, Pastor Miguel is used to being in here. This is your first visit for our—what do you think about these friendly confines?
1: Oh, wow. That's amazing. I mean, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, uh, here's what we want to talk about today and think about today, and that is one of the things that uh, is, as I mentioned, so important to what we do in ministry and so important to think about in ministry is how we uh, reach out to the entire community and be careful about becoming just enclosed into ourselves. It's so easy to do that in ministry, and one of the things we've done here in, in this church is to welcome in a thriving Latino community, and that's happening more and more around the country now the unique thing is with our ministry uh pastor perhaps you can speak to this a bit more but the latino congregation has really been considered to be a part of the main congregation not a different work how did that come about why why that philosophy
1: well since the beginning when i i was appointed to be an associate pastor for the latino community um the idea was really to make disciples of Jesus Christ and, and be part of the first United Methodist Church. So uh, even though the, the, in the beginning we just talk about that, I mean, to develop this new culture, I mean, that is another world. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, because we have very clear what is our goal so is is I think the steps to make it happen is 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 getting easier yeah. you know yeah. so yeah. um every time we we welcome a hispanic family in our worship service for example we invite them to keep coming and we offer you know if they need translation because some of them they already need translations. But if they need translation we offer translation. If they need a Spanish Bible we offer a Spanish Bible. I mean we have those resources around for every family who are coming to our church. Sure. So in the process we offer um membership classes in Spanish or bilingual in case I mean they need it and so so I mean we keep adding stuff that yeah. they can be feel feel welcome to our church.
0: So let me talk to the reality of this ministry then, and it's something that you as a listener might encounter, and that is um, how do we interact in a healthy fashion with the different communities that are, are becoming a part of our ministry work, whether your ministry work where you are, or if you are part of of Peoria First United Methodist Church, uh, how do we learn to interact better? How do we become more community? How do we become the people God has made us to be? Because sometimes that can be a little awkward for us. I think we have to even overcome our own stereotypes at times. So, uh, my my first question to you is: Is Pastor Adrian, when you came, you came from Monterrey, Mexico, mm-hmm. and when you came to the United States, what were you expecting to find? And instead, what were some of your biggest surprises?
1: Well, I came in, in ninety two with, with Lily, my my wife, and my three kids who were really toddlers in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, my goal was to establish a Hispanic congregation, so I think my understanding was I don't need English; I just need to reach out my Hispanic you know community but in the process, I found myself uh immersed in a bilingual bicultural uh community mm-hmm. who pushed me to i need to get this barrier of uh language you know cross uh to be able to not just to communicate with with the hispanic community you no know, mm-hmm. but to help the hispanic community so and in the, the process i i really understand that my i would say my call is more like to be a bridge and both sides, you know, the Anglo community to Hispanic, Hispanic to Anglos. Well, I would say Anglo, but I say the the whole community, because it depends where we are established a Hispanic ministry, is the demographic is different. So, sure, sure. really, the bridge uh, idea is, is is I think that is like um, stick with me, and and I say in the beginning of being a pastor in Illinois, you know.
0: Yeah. So. When when you came to Illinois for the first time, um, what was the culture? Was there culture shock for you? I mean, as far as weather is concerned, as far as uh, just buying groceries, healthcare, that sort of thing. What was the most substantial culture shock? And and perhaps even more so for the Latino community that you work in. What seems to be the biggest areas of of shock for them when they come uh, to this part of the country? I would say that. Uh, um...
1: Is in, in in our countries, and I say countries because it can be from Mexico or Central America. Most of the people who are coming to Central Illinois, uh, you wanna find that you really need English to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are not in Texas, you are not in New York, you are not in Florida, so you need to learn English. The second one, for some of them, because they come to small communities, you need to learn how to drive. Because in the big cities, most of the people, they don't buy cars because they have a transportation Mm. system. So uh, driving, that means um, uh, driver license, for example. Who, if uh, in those days, because I'm talking about 92, it's a lot of, almost 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, There was not a lot of support in the system around the new Hispanics in our state. Uh, So... um, Trying to help them to understand the system was such a shock for me. It was, I mean, I thought it was more easy to communicate with the people
0: around me. It was not. It was not the case. Um, yeah. Do do do. Latinos find this to be a a welcoming area to come to, or do they just feel like I? I'm not sure I fit in here.
1: I We say that in in general, the state of Illinois is very welcoming. Good, you know, is more. I don't know if I can call the the sanctuary state because I don't know if that really is important. But uh, uh-huh. it's more like a place who are welcome and mm-hmm. and uh, their jobs. If if they are jobs available, they're gonna move to Illinois. Um, and and I think the the in general the the structure the the infrastructure infrastructure of the state, the uh, healthcare. Uh, is, mm-hmm. English as a second language classes, um, jobs you know, are, are available for them. And they say, yes, okay. And then that's why they come and they can feel welcome to the area.
0: Yeah. So let me deal now with one of the issues that might be in the mind of many Anglos. I, I think maybe the pandemic changed the conversation, but a big, big part of the conversation back before the pandemic really occupied our attention was the status of workers in our country and why are they coming here? It's interesting that as Americans, we are raised up and taught that we are a melting pot. We are a culture of many cultures. And, and yet we went through this period of, of almost fearfulness of other cultures coming in and their, their worker status and that sort of thing. You told me something one time that really was informative to me, and that is that um, it is really, really hard to get your paperwork in this country, and sometimes the standard changes in process. Can you speak to that a little bit about how frustrating it is to actually become a citizen for those who uh, come here and want to work in this country?
1: Well, I would say that very in a simple way, uh, the immigration system, you have two ways to get your documents right. Mm -hmm. One is if you have a job. So if you have someone to offer you a job and you can come to this country with this offer, okay. of course you need to make those processes in your own country, get the, your working visa and just travel with your family and stay here. There is a lot of them who come in that process because they have li- really a a degree, uh, some kind of an engineer background or health background, something like that. So... um. And the other side is uh, you have a relative in the United States, someone who is so close to you. I mean, probably a father, mother, son, daughter, you know, close to to you. And then you're gonna try, uh, process a a resident. Uh, we call green card mm-hmm. uh, visa. Uh, if you have that that kind of thing, well, and, and I think in the in the working visa, the number the number of uh, visas are very limited. In Not general, you. for the Not whole you. country, so there is a few people who come to that line, and the other side is the green car. So the numbers are kind of bigger, but as the, the the numbers of uh, applicants are, I mean immense. It's so big, mm-hmm. especially for if we are talking about countries close to us. Is Mexico is the number one they try to apply because for generation, people just cross the border, established a residence, now American citizens, second, third, fourth generation. So uh, for Mexican uh, who want to come, they have relatives here with the status, legal status, who need to apply. But the system itself is not prepared for those kind of um, processes of mm-hmm. numbers. So um, there is another one who came from asylum. Right now, the 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 big issue is asylum. Who okay. oh, people come to the borders to ask for asylum because the violence or the problems in the countries, etc. So there is a, a, a specific numbers of uh, asylum visas who they can apply. So even though they are there, well, we don't have enough visas for you anyway. So it's very complicated. So when we start a process, like my, my wife and I, Lily is an American citizen. I'm a Mexican citizen. We live in, in Mexico. And basically, we decided to come to Illinois because God called us to do ministry. So we start our process because she's an American citizen. We took, like, in those days, say, say 30 years ago, maybe six to eight months to go through the embassy in Mexico american embassy and get my residency and crossing the border so it took like a year Mm -hmm. and it's very it was very uh, expensive for us even though because we we need to pay in dollars all these visas etc etc now um, if you don't have a husband or, or parent who are asking you there is different levels of visas and that is when the people are stuck. Because if I took a year in married with an American citizen, could you imagine someone who has a son-in-law or a daughter who is married, who is the fourth level of uh, priority, uh, they're going to take like uh, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years waiting for that appointment. They can uh, approve the process, say, oh, yeah, I got your paper. Just wait for your uh, interview and that is going to take years of wow. waiting. so wow. I thousands and thousands and thousands I say million people millions of people waiting for that appointment so in some ways they are not legal but in some way they are already in the process and this, that's what is everything is stuck and with the pandemic the pandemic is is getting worse because there is not a lot of people working in those offices
0: there's so much more we can say about that and I don't want to dwell too long on that except I'm just kind of curious what would you say is the primary reason why people from your country or from Latin America immigrate to the United States what is it because of opportunity
1: I say yes can be opportunity people talk about opportunities for a better life mm-hmm. but I say more as like uh, your family okay your family is here you want to be with your family and mm-hmm. in, in the sense of uh Uh, family visas, you know. So, uh, for example, my my father, who was born in Texas, moved to Mexico when he was a child, and then moved back in... I say the '60s or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Mexico with my father, who was American citizen, and me and my brothers and sisters in Mexico. And in the end, everything started moving so slowly, but uh, we ended on this side of the river, you know, in the sure. United States, sure. because my father was here, born here. Uh-huh. So uh, many of the other families who move, you know, maybe the, a generation ago, they want to be together. Sure. So, in the in the end, I say it's like a, more like a family ties. Mm-hmm. For those who come for the working visa, is different. They really need a job because that pay better. For those who doesn't have any relatives and of any working visas, so they are looking for a better life. So, mm-hmm. mo- most of them came f- because the violence in our countries. Wow, wow. And uh, even though they don't have a high-payer jobs in our countries, they can live peacefully and I think happily mm. because, I mean, we love our countries. Yes. But for those people who are moving to the borders, it's because their life is so harder, there is not, there is no way they can survive over there. Yeah.
0: So, so do you, do you find uh, among the Latinos you talk to that there's a general sense of happiness about being here in this country or is it more of a sense of just looking for some sort of refuge or or opportunity? I would say there's a happiness because I can see that when they
1: have a inner you know, congregation for example mm-hmm. for example they come Sundays and you can see a family. You can see an extension of your family right here. Mm-hmm. So we spend a lot of time together. I mean I mean we have yes an hour and a half of worship service, for example, not necessarily an hour or forty-five minutes. We 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 need more time. But in the end, is after that we keep spending time together. Then we have a birthday a, a celebration, and there is another birthday here. The weekends we saw at least four or five times those families during the week, besides the worship service. So that gathering make us feel safe but at the same time happy and and and, and valuable you know yes. Yes, this is the the tendency of most of the families especially if we say in central Illinois if we talk about Peoria uh, and kinda the big cities with a lot of Hispanics but you need to divide those in some ways you need to divide those groups of Hispanics in first generation, second generation, third generation because culturally are different
0: now. You, uh, as a pastor, you actually came from the United Methodist Church in Mexico, and I think maybe there's this perception among many of us Anglo's that Latin America is pretty much a, a Catholicized country. Mm. Oh, do you, uh, do most of the people who you minister to do they come from Catholic backgrounds, and is that a challenge to you in ministering?
1: Well, uh, first of all, in Mexico there is not a United Methodist Church who has a denomination name. Okay. Okay. There is the Methodist Church of Mexico. You gotcha. know. Many, many years ago, they just just um, uh, separate uh, for obvious reason. There is uh, different rules in different countries. and sure. They cannot keep in that sense together. But anyway, uh, as a Methodist, yes. Uh, in most of the people in our countries are, I say, eighty percent of them Catholic background. But even though there uh, there is a Catholic background, and most of them, I say, maybe fifty percent of them, they don't attend the church. They are they are they nominal uh, Catholic uh, people in some ways. So when they they hear the gospel sometimes for them it's gonna oh wow I never hear that. Yeah because you never read the Bible. Oh yeah never. Okay this is the Bible this is and this is exactly what you're supposed to know now let me tell you how to read the Bible. So they found Jesus as a Lord and Savior for the first time and they in love with the world. That's why they just become we call Christians, even though they came from that background, but really they don't have any relationship with Christ. They can go to the Mass uh, once in a while for a birthday, whatever. Like many other denominations, they have a lot of people in the numbers, but they don't attend regularly to church worship service.
0: And you know, we, we Angles in, in our church services contend to be so stoic and proper and quiet. I've noticed such an energy. In the Latino congregation, is that a cultural energy? Is it just an excitement because they're they're discovering themselves in Christ? What would you attribute that uh, those differences to? I think it's, it's in some ways it's, it's very cultural. Okay,
1: we are uh, very passionate, mm-hmm. you know, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love to be together. We are more, I say, loud, people, but. <laughs> when I found another <laughs> ones who are more loudish than Roma, we are not really <laughs> loud. Uh-huh. But, uh, I say that in general. Uh-huh. So, uh, we love, uh, the conversation, sitting, spend time as a family, uh, singing, you know, we love that kind of interaction. Gotcha. And so it's part of our energy as a, as a community. That's when we come to Christ and we came to the worship service, you can see that difference. When we worship, we raise our hands, we cry, you know, we come to the altar every time I make a, a, a altar call. Always, there is someone there. It's like wow. kind of, wow. they come because they want that blessing. They blessing. want that, you know, there's some miracle happening every every Sunday.
0: So maybe one of the best ways to break down walls is let's talk uh, overcoming some stereotypes. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the stereotype that Anglo's have about Latinos that is most frustrating for you personally? <laughs>
1: uh, that is a that is a hard question. Um, I will say that. Um, one of the myths is uh, all the Hispanics uh, ate uh, hot pepper. <laughs> so it's not true, uh-huh. you know. And, and uh, the Central American in general, they don't eat spicy food, you know. It's sure. more like a Mexican type. Uh-huh. But even when Mexico, is so big, it's so, you know, mm-hmm. from one coast to another coast, one, oh. one north to south, it's thousands of miles. So sure. um, no, it's not true. But uh, they... Uh, trying to think in that way. And, and the other side, we thought the Anglo community or the other community, they don't eat hot, spicy food. But it's not true in general. You know, most of them say, "Wow, well, it's not. But, you know, um, I noticed that in our congregation, some people who have their own garden, family gardens, mm-hmm. uh, when they um, harvest uh, hot peppers, jalapenos, mm-hmm. Um, habaneros or ghost peppers. They say, "Oh, I know who, someone who can eat it, and he bring it to me, and say, uh-huh. hey, pastor, I bring it to you.' So, oh, thank you. Yeah. But habanero is not my thing; it's so hot. Yeah. But anyway, I appreciate it, and I just <laughs> give it to someone else. But um, and and that way, some kind of it's a funny thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing that is frustrating me more is. Um, when they feel or they think uh, we cannot communicate with them because my pronunciation is so heavily that they see maybe they don't understand. But this is one thing is my mind, one, and the other thing is my, my tongue, my, my way to speak, you know. So uh, when we are together mm-hmm. and they trying to speak with me and they speak slowly to see if I can... And they say, "I understand, yeah. but let me try to say it the way you can understand." So, uh, I think they frustrate me the way that they the even for Hispanic community trying to communicate with Anglo's is the same. You you can communicate. Maybe it's not the we don't have the whole vocabulary or the way the sounds my word sounds differently because the pronunciation, you know. It depends uh, where you came from. Mm -hmm. But in the end, if we can communicate, this is the goal, say hi to everyone, say hello, how are you, what is your name? I mean, basic stuff, I mean, everybody can do it, especially with the Hispanic community in our country, who are first generation, Central Illinois, they come here because they love here, they love the weather, they love the cities, and they have jobs, so if they have jobs, they speak English somehow, you know. So, um, be friendly, um, don't be shy, talk to them. If you see in the process that you understand, while keep asking or say, "Well, it's no big deal." We keep trying because we we as a Hispanic trying to understand everything on the other side. Sure. I say you keep trying to us and 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 make that bridge of uh, uh, friendship you know stronger Uh, that's why that's why one of the things that i really love about this church is the friendlies that we 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 have as a church to the community Mm -hmm. and uh, we take it for granted yeah but not many churches has that kind of opening to any other culture
0: and one of the things you've noticed about me in our relationship is I know just enough Spanish to get myself in trouble. Mm. And I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of the fact that I studied Spanish in school because I was required to sure. and actually became very mo- very moderately fluent. But I've lost most of that because I haven't used it. And so I like to occasionally try at least attempt to speak in Spanish. Do, do Latinos like it when Anglos... Uh, try to speak in Spanish or do they by and large prefer that we try to communicate in English? I will say that we love when the, you try because we
1: are doing the same thing. Mm. You know, it's kind of, oh, he, he's, he's, he's uh, uh, walking the second mile gotcha. just to communicate with me.
0: That We love that. And I don't know that if this is a stereotype, a good one or a bad one, but I've been to the perception that Latinos learn English much easier than we Anglo's learn Spanish. Uh, I've just been so impressed with uh, even in vacationing in in, uh, in Mexico how how many people are are reasonably fluent in English as compared to here how people are not that conversant in, in Spanish. Is, is do you think there's any truth to that?
1: Well. When you go to Mexico to those places, basically they are there because they want your money, that's all they training <laughs> them to, you know, I need bilingual people serving tables, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And, and, and that's why people just push themselves to be bilingual in those areas of the country, especially in the Cancun area, Acapulco, all these costs, you know, because this is, a, this is an industry who is uh, bringing so much money to our country. That's why even the sure. pandemic, Cancun was not even close. It's always receiving people, and uh, they say with the protocols, but... Kind of yeah, really. Anyway, wow. so this is one way. The other one is, um, I think, uh, yes, we we are try harder to understand and speak English because we are in this country. So if I move to Mexico, I forgot about my. I don't need it, but I'm here. I need to. I need to make it happen because uh-huh. I have responsibilities. I have bills to pay. I have children to you sure. know, help. And all this stuff is, is pushing us to do that. When people, they don't want to really try to to speak English, they move to Texas, Houston, Florida, California, say, oh, I don't need that English. So the people who stay here, and I say, how, how, for how long you are here? Ten years, man, you make it. I mean, you really care about this place. So that's one way.
0: Okay, so here's the question I want to ask you as a bilingual speaker, as somebody who is very fluent. uh, Do you think in English yet? Do you find yourself thinking in English? Uh, That's a weird question.
1: No, it's not weird. Uh, In the beginning, when you start getting the the language, you think in both languages. I mean, you translate those words. Okay, that's Uh. what he's talking about. Uh, I think there is a point in your in your learning process when you say, hmm, "I don't need to translate anything." That's so all. When you talk to me, I don't translate anything now. Mm-hmm. I just get it. <clears throat> Whatever I understood, I try to. Comp- I mean, explain myself. If it's something that I hmm, I don't understand, and then I need I a- ask him. But it's not because I'm translating. Not for me anymore. But for the first generation, I say. In, in, in our congregation, we have around 100 people, including children, In our congregation for the Hispanic community um, said, um, when they come directly from their countries, and this is the first generation who came three months ago, of course they are translating. They translate everything. They go to the grocery store and they take a banana and say, Oh, my God, it's very expensive because they translate it in pesos. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, oh, no, no, I don't want to buy this one. Oh, oh, it's nice. Oh, no, it's too expensive. We always translate money and words. But if we say, uh, when we ask her for how long you are been in Peoria? And they say three years. Probably those people, they not translate it anymore. Mm-hmm. Probably they don't have a lot of vocabulary because the, the, the English is, is is for me is complicated and and I'm gonna try to explain why. If you work in the construction business, you know your language, your uh, lingo to hammer you know so things like that very specific you work in the cleaning services you know you're specific but the conversation and a different topics so or general topic of the weather or stuff like that you need to go outside of your comfort zone and trying to learn the, the new language it's not the same to translate for a lawyer to a doctor Mm-hmm. to a constructor of people. Mm-hmm. And um, we need to get those vocabularies. I say for me, if I preach in, in English, the religious vocabulary is in me because this is my thing. But if they put me to speak about the global warming, oh, I lost. I mean, because sure. I can translate all the words that I know in Spanish to the new language.
0: Yeah. Okay, so, uh, you said something that I want to kind of go back to, sure. and, and that is thinking about food is central to every culture. Every culture very proud of their food traditions. And, and, and even among Anglos, we all have different food traditions in different parts of the country. Um, something I've always been – by the way, your wife is a fantastic cook. I always love it when you guys bring in food, and it doesn't happen that often, but uh, tell your wife to bring food in any time she wants to. I'm here. <laughs> uh, but just, just out of curiosity um, – Reasonable side of me realizes that any restaurant in this country uh, Americanizes the food. But to what degree are we experiencing anything authentic when we go out to a a Mexican restaurant being operated by Mexican individuals? What in those restaurants tends to be authentic? What is not so much? What are the American versions of of Mexican food? Well, I will say it
1: in this way. When you go to the restaurant and you see more Hispanics than Anglos, Mm -hmm. That is the real thing. Good. So it's easy. You go more. You see more Anglo's than Hispanics sitting in the uh-huh. restaurants. Uh huh. Eh, probably it's not the real thing. Gotcha. Uh, that's why even in Peoria we have restaurants and we have this new small business selling tacos and your very specific thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you saw people making line or you know buying in these different. Places and you some more Hispanics. That is the real thing. In Peoria, we don't have a lot of them. We have few of them. They say, mm, "I prefer this food from this restaurant, but not from this restaurant." And you know, because most of the restaurants in general are making for the the general community, not for the Hispanic community. Uh-huh. If I go to any of them, for example, I would say Los Cabos is in a, an advertisement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I know the owner, and I say. Hey, do you have this? Say, no, but I can make it for you. Oh, because they don't sell it to general you know, because it's not a profit in there. But I want this plate. Oh, yeah, I can. I, let me talk to the cook. And the cook is from Michoacan or from Guanajuato, and they know how to do it, and they have the ingredients. I say, this is for pastoral you, you see? Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, it's like that. You need to know your plates, your dishes. So... You go to a big cities, you wanna find the real stuff, and they're gonna be more. Mm, I say, not necessarily all Hispanics, but Hispanics and Anglos, but you can see there is difference, a very different thing. Uh, in Chicago, for example, because close to us, you find it. For the Central American people, because there is a very diversity f- f- food. Uh, the Central American people, they la- they like the Mexican food in general, but they have their own dishes. So when they want to go to a very Central American place, it's not here in, in Peoria. Gotcha. So when they find friends in the area who are from that country, say, hey, come on to my house because we have this dish. Oh, and then they they meet together in their homes not in mm. restaurants but they go to san louis or to chicago uh, and they they have those kind of restaurants they just travel every weekend for for a a good uh, and nice and real. Food.
0: Pastor, do you have a few more minutes? Because this is such a great conversation. Sure. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit longer with this podcast than usual because sure. there are several things. Here's another question that I have for you. And it's an observation that I first made many years ago when I was still in, in the broadcasting industry. I lived in a community where there was a, a large influx of workers from Mexico uh, coming in to the community. And one of the things that I noticed was when I was in one of the big, uh, the big department stores, you know, one of the big box stores. You could always tell when there were new folks coming in because you could see the look on their face. They were just blown away by what they saw uh, in this store available to them. Is is that a a fair analysis that by and large, when, when uh, uh, folks from Central America come here, that there's a, a lot more available to them as far as shopping and in our stores than they might experience where they live? I always say that, um,
1: Probably not the brands, because we have the same brands in our country. Okay. It's probably the the cost oh, are, uh-huh. they are costly in our countries than here.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, if i going to buy a Nike shoes, I mean, in our countries, I can pay $150, $200 for the same shoes that i going to wow. buy here uh-huh. and $100. So mm-hmm. I said, wow, is the brands are kind of Everywhere, but it's very expensive. Even in Central America, it's, it's one. Of, I mean, the poverty levels in Central America are, I mean, terrible, mm-hmm. and they are very expensive. And there is malls because they still use the, those malls that we have here, but mm-hmm. it's not the business they used to be. Mm-hmm. But they have malls that you can go there there. Is the wow that you can be amazed of the kind of constructions they have. But they're very expensive. So who buys those places? Well, there is a very small numbers of rich people in those countries who make it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Instead of going through New York, they just go through their own malls. So when they come here, they are not amazed of the buildings, but the brands and cost, cost they kind country. of compare and say, wow. And we have more online buyers here. So the new generation of the Hispanics who came already with the cell phone in hand, when they found it, it's easy to buy in online mm-hmm. than their countries because they don't have this infrastructure in their own countries as larger are here. You can go here and you can go crazy. So I think, I I say to them, you be careful. I mean, don't spend all your money and stuff like that, because they don't have over there, of course. And not all of them, they came from the uh, poor families, mm-hmm. you know.
0: And you know even in asking that question, I wonder, does that reveal a little bit of a, an unfair stereotype that I have, and that is that anybody who comes from Central America is automatically coming from a more impoverished existence than what happens here in america that's That's probably an unfair stereotype, isn't yeah. it?
1: Yeah, because uh, one of the things that I found in Mexico and Central America there is a lot of young people studying in the universities, mm-hmm. I mean with the degrees. The problem with that is because they're living there when they graduate from their lawyers or dentists, doctors, you name it. I mean, there is a lot of of those stuff here. They don't have, Central America, they don't have enough jobs for everyone. Sure. Or the pay is too low for example, for example, uh, we went to Honduras two years ago, and we asked uh, the team in Honduras to hire uh, doctors, pedi- pediatricians, uh, um, and specialists to be with us to be in uh, those three, four days clinic. We pay a hundred. Let me think right. Um, so close to hundred and eighty dollars a day. Mm-hmm. To serve that community and they have you know maybe 50 60 people wow. for a hundred dollars and for 180 dollars they say yeah sure because I don't, I don't i'm not gonna make it in in my own setting mm-hmm. but i'm making here so in three days they can get 750 dollars and maybe the value of uh, two weeks of job over there or maybe a month over there so that's why when you come to see the people, one of the things that i was very, I mean, uh, curious about is if they have a degree. Because when I found they have a degree, they know more than I thought. So I have uh, people who were teachers, who were dentists, who were um, lawyers in our congregation has mm-hmm. not certification to be lawyers here or dentists here sure. but they have a lot of education and they are working in restaurants and cleaning supplies or you know if they they really push to make it happen they're gonna get to the top of the wherever they are working because they are good in management
0: now before you before you went into the ministry, you were an engineer. I was an engineer, Did,
1: yeah, civil engineer.
0: Have you experienced people assuming that because you came from Mexico that you weren't as maybe as smart as they were? Or, I mean, is there that stereotype that's present or does that just happen on a limited basis? I would
1: say yes because um, when I said, uh, well, I, I work as a civil engineer, I graduate mm-hmm. and work. And and they can um may say, Oh yeah, I say yeah. Mm-hmm. But my 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 call really is because God called me to do ministry. Mm-hmm. I left that area to be in ministry, but um helped me a lot in the process of uh, doing ministry and several ministries that I have. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the same for all, a lot of them. Um when I found that I uh, went to make a Bible study, we have a Bible study every Wednesday, and there is fifteen to twenty adults who came every Wednesday. Right now, in the middle, middle of pandemic, uh, I need to I need to test the waters to see uh, how fast I can go, how, how deep I can go, and depends who are there. So probably in my Bible study Wednesday we have people who uh, struggle with the idea of reading but the other ones who are engineers and caterpillar right now. So I need to be wise to make it happen to everyone and engage everyone. So, because we have those kind of levels sitting there in front of me.
0: Well, let me wrap this up like this. And I'm here with pastor Adrian Garcia. This has been just a fascinating conversation for me. Um, In your years of experience now of having ministered here in this country, What things do you think need to happen to strengthen the bond between the Latino and Anglo congregations? How can we do better at becoming the body of Christ together rather than two churches that exist in in one place?
1: I say trust. Okay. I think the battle, battle, battle line is trust. I mean, trust that we are trying to do the best we can when the things we have. So when you find a family um, in our church for the people who are part of our congregation. um, uh, Trust them that they are trying to do the best. So um, make a conversation in some ways, even with translation, but just make a conversation. I think if you're trying to know them uh, better, you want to understand more what is the background and how difficult it is for some. And I say new immigrants because this is why we have new immigrants uh, and, and and value them uh, when they can't, they, they're trying to speak English, you know. For me, um, I never get an ESL classes. Mm-hmm. I never go to a university for getting English. I just learn as fast as I can. That's why I have kind of broken words over there. Anyway, but uh, I fascinate with some of the people, a few I say, maybe in, in our congregation, 20% came from Indian background from their own countries. Really? So they speak another dialect mm-hmm. and then they learn Spanish. Now they speak English. And that amazes me. Say, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh, you are smarter than anybody <laughs> I can know because yeah. they can speak that. I, I have a lady who. Uh, speak Quechua in Guatemala, learn Spanish, then learn Portuguese because he works in an embassy in in Brazil, and then moved to Chicago. Now is member of our church. Say, so you see, um, you are so smart mm-hmm. and loyal, and have this resilience in you mm-hmm. who overcome any barriers. So I can see a brighter future, not just in like, economically. But in your family, for the second generation, you're going to see that difference in your life and the life of your family because you are yeah, yeah. valuable. And now you got Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. you know, you can do whatever you want.
0: Pastor, would you do us a favor? And in closing, would you mind offering a prayer that God will bless our work together? And for those who might be listening outside of the Peoria, just a blessing on their coming together with other cultures as well. Would you say a prayer sure. for us in closing? Yes. Oh, dear God, thank you for the opportunity, Lord,
1: Yes, to be in this multicultural setting. So we don't understand everything, and we don't even pretend to understand everything. But give us your grace, your love, so deeply in our heart, that we can see as you know one another, as as a value body of Christ, as a son and daughter of Christ, and that we can see the, this body, the one body become become the church that you are planning to be not just right here in Peoria, but in the rest of the world. Because there is a world who needs this unity. And the only way I can perceive that unity is by you, Lord. No matter what the languages or the culture we have, or even the legal status we have right now, because I can see that we, all of us, we are in this new transition, in this new world that you love so much and you die for us yes, so thank you for this opportunity to live this life in this time of in
0: this moment of the history in Jesus Christ i pray amen, amen. And I'm just going to put this out there that if somebody from outside of our area is watching and would like to have some more information on how to build this sort of ministry, I would guess if they want to contact us through peoria one.com, yes. uh, you would be willing to continue a conversation with them perhaps. Okay. More than welcome to. Help. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being my thank guest you, today. Man. We're going to have to continue this conversation yes. because I, I, I see so many things we can build on here and this has been an exciting one. So th- thank you again, Pastor oh, Adrian you, Garcia, uh, pastor of Latino uh, pastor of Hispanic, Hispanic, Hispanic ministries. Is that the correct term? Hispanic, uh, Latino. At uh, first United Methodist church in downtown Peoria. Thanks again, pastor for being here. And I want to again, invite you to be in contact with us through Peoria one.com. That's Peoria one.com. If you check in there, you can uh, uh, send us comments. You can send us questions and you can continue the conversation with us. Also be sure and like, and share us on social media. That's one of the ways we get this word out and, uh, Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or YouTube or follow, whichever the vernacular happens to be where you are. That keeps you updated as far as our podcasts are concerned and helps us get the word out as well. Well, the 116 is a podcast that is a presentation of First United Methodist Church in downtown Peoria to bring life higher, wider, closer, and deeper. My name is Greg Fish, and it's been such a privilege to be with you today. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation on the one one six.